This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, an informative podcast with the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I, as always, am your host, Kenneth Moffat, aka the Southern GM. And with me is the usual peanut gallery, Brody Elder Fenris. Hello. And James the High Father Bardwell. I love peanuts. <laughs> now, folks, I'm going to be honest. I'm a bit confused as our topic for today, as I didn't know that this has anything to do with tabletop role-playing games. Uh, but today we're going to be discussing the NPC, uh, the National Port Commission. So, oh, wait, wait, Established wait. in 1950. Uh, wrong. Wrong Record one. scratch. Wrong one. That's, that's the podcast after this. We do the National Port Commission. Okay. Then yeah, the- I know you have a passion for the National Port Commission. but I, I like bacon. Yeah. Uh, these are non-playable characters. Oh, oh, in, that, in NP, yeah. That is the D, D, this is the D and D one. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> so will we discuss? We so I I guess okay. So we will not be discussing uh, the bureau that maintains and regulates the production and sale of porcine products in the United States. Instead, we'll be discussing non-player characters. Uh, that are those are the individuals and sometimes the monsters that inhabit the world of your tabletop role-playing games. So, like, if the if the immersion and investment of your characters is the engine that drives the RPG, uh, I think that the NPCs are the toolbox that you tune that thing with. Yes, the the NPCs are what bring are they they're the things that your players can go. I like that character. I want them to add to my motivation, or I hate that character, and that is going to add to my motivation. Uh, I think we look. We're going to have to do an entire discussion about the the dreaded question. That players will always ask when you bring in a random NPC, hey, what's their name? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is once you give them a name, their character development, a lot of the agency of that leaves out of your hands. Yes. Because the party has fallen in love with characters that I had absolutely no intention of continuing. I, all I can, I will, we will be discussing those kind of characters because my favorite one will always be Antonio, no, it would be uh, Daniel Cobalt. There, there's, a, there's a funny story with Daniel <laughs> Cobalt. But so first, again, as we always say, let's define our terms. NPC, the non-player characters, at their base, what are they? They are the lifeblood of your setting. They are the random uh, Joes and and uh, Billies and no, don't use those names. Uh, they are the random people in your setting that give uh, purpose to your characters, to the world around them. They are uh, what drives a lot of the the story. They are there. They're the people with exclamation points above their heads that say, "Hey, you! Yes, you come help me. My farm is being overrun by giant rats." Personally, for me. Like, I love playing characters in D&D. It's, that's my favorite part. It's what I enjoy about being a player. And for me, that's the best part about being a DM is I get to play all of the other characters. Yes. So, personally, that's my favorite part. That's what it is for me. Now, then, it's it's like real world because if in, real, in the real world, there isn't just, like, you know, four people. You have all these other people that you, you run across, that you befriend. You may see this person one time and never see them again. In essence, those are the NPCs. They are the ones who bring flavor and content to the rest of the of the game and of the world yep. you're in. Now, let's let's start with the most basic. What do you think about when you're making an NPC? Now, this could just be a a named NPC that you want to add, or as often happens as a dungeon master, 
if suddenly your players need something and the only way you can give this to them is to make a random NPC? How do you go about creating these these characters for your world? Well, kind of harkens back to an earlier episode. This is just another facet of world building. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I do is I, and this is some good advice for anybody, I have a list that I will make. I'll go to a random name generator, <laughs> find you some good names, write them down because you will need them because your players will go, what was that guy's name? And uh, you're going to go, oh, crap. So you flip back and you find a random name. Uh, what I do for the important NPC, someone that the characters will be spending a lot of time interacting with, and this is just not for D&D, this is for any game, is uh, I will find a way to make them memorable for the party because it's easier for them to identify with somebody that they can easily remember. Something so, that stands out about the character. Yeah, I will give my NPCs quirks. Yeah. Or I'll make them talk in a particular way or make them uh, rememberable in some way like that, like Doc Ravidi, for instance. Yeah. He's easily rememberable because I gave him a number of weird quirks. <laughs> but they don't all have to be like that. You can be have the serious characters, the, the jokesters, the people that are um, more sincere, heartfelt, or like downright dirty and rotten. Yeah. Um, I will sometimes pull from real, real world experiences. I will find people that I have met in my life that um, I will imitate or give, uh, kind of translate them into the game, but not in a way that's demeaning yeah. or, or hurtful. Sometimes it's like, you know, I had a, like, you know, a, a high school teacher. It's like, man, that was the best teacher I ever had. I enjoyed their classes. And I was like, you know, they're going to relive <laughs> their life, whether they knew it or not, in my game. Yep. That's just one of the one things that I do. I, I think that's a good way to do that because – um, even though you, you're kind of defined by that quirk or that you know characteristic or the person you have in mind, uh, if they want to delve deeper into that care that NPC, if your party does, uh, you can use logical association to expand that NPC yes. real simply because you knew that person, you kind of know uh, the roundabouts of their life, and it can give you an idea. Like, well, if they want to, they want to check on in, the, in on this person in their home or something, you kind of know what to put there. Because you have a feel for the person. Being a dungeon master, you kind of learn a lot of unintentional psychology. Yeah. And now we're not saying you're a dungeon master as a psychologist, but you learn the ways to, lack of a better term, I don't want to, it's not a very healthy term, but you learn the ways to manipulate both the your players' characters and trying to, to you know, lead them down certain ways and get them to interact. Now, to be fair, that only works like 25% of the time because you can never fully gauge who and what your players will connect to. Like in my game with the natural ones, there was this whole storyline where they were supposed to, uh, this, this young girl was kidnapped, which she'd been seen a uh, kind of socializing with a hill giant that lived off, you know, out of the way. And there was this whole big thing set up. Well, the players went the opposite route and they found themselves meeting the hill giant first, which was this hill giant named Billy instantly fell in love with Billy. There was no animosity. Like, but the, the thing I have planned out here is you're supposed to, think he kidnapped the girl, then go after him, and then find out he's this night. Okay, so I've had to not completely, like, mid-game, rewrite this entire in interaction. Uh, Sometimes it just happens and, like that. And it's and it was the voice. The moment I did the voice, the look of my entire, because it just went, Hello, my name is Billy. And you just see their eye, everybody's eyes went, Aww. Like, I did it again. <laughs> That was your trap. That was the trap right there. They're like, oh, we must protect this small, sweet bean. He's 13 feet tall. 
players are going to find some way to just, you know, I'm going to protect them, whether they're a giant monster or not. And, and a lot of times, it's really funny, a lot of my NPCs that are like reoccurring come about, be, and, but they weren't meant, intended to be a reoccurring NPC. Because uh, like you said, you, you find that one thing that they can, uh, that makes them memorable, that they can attach to. And much like, I mean, we humans, we are creatures, we are social creatures. Uh, we, you know, we kind of are drawn to, to people who emulate the things we do, that kind of stuff. I mean, nerds, that's you know, the whole big group. And so when you find that connection to, the, to a, an NPC, well, suddenly they're more important and you want to deal with them more, you want to talk to them more. Uh, now, that can be used for story reasons. You know, what's, what's more motivating than a beloved NPC to, you know, suddenly be cut down in a moment of glory, that kind of stuff? James is familiar with that. Yeah, very familiar. <laughs> yep. We've talked about him ad nauseum on here, so we're not going to go any further about but everybody knows Hawk by now. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, are some, what are some things, because honestly, NPCs are, they're one of the easier aspects. Because you just go, okay, I need to give the party this. You don't have to be like this full, like, in-depth. He was born 23 years ago. His father, well, you know, was a farmer. And I know, I know some dungeon masters that give as much thought into the background of an NPC as they do a, a player character. But what are some some tips for when you're trying to make an NPC? What should they do? What should they not do? What sort of relevance should they have in the world? And what are some sort of tips for that? I typically, like kind of what we've already mentioned a little bit to maybe expound on that, some more logical association is yeah. how I handle a lot of NPCs. And I generally have... I split NPCs into two categories, uh, intentional and unintentional spotlight-type characters. Because yep. there are NPCs that I build, and they, they are very in-depth because I love playing characters. Um, and those are NPCs that I kind of want to try to help move the story along with to uh, you know invest in specific areas that are necessary for my elements of the storytelling yep. for them to interact with. And you've got your unintentional NPCs, which are those that they just kind of latch on to. But I think as long as you use logical association, which is building that NPC from someone, taking that inspiration from someone you may know, or a character in fiction, you know, that you're, you, you, you like or yeah. you're interested in or you think conveys well what you're trying to do. Um, I think logical association is, for me, the best way to approach that. I usually just, um, I give them basic information, something that I know my players will ask me. So I, that's information that I need to know off the top of my head, like what is their name, uh, how are, are they, and what do they do in relation to what's being asked of them, and what is their relations to uh, the party and what setting, whatever setting they're in right now is just basic stuff. Now, if it's a more important NPC, I'll go a little further and add more to that yeah. because eventually – the more your players talk to them, the more you're going to need to know because they're going to need to relay information to whatever situation is being presented. I like what you said, like, you know, uh, random name generator. I literally, in my, my DM notebook, I have a list of male and female names that as I, like, as uh, we, Nina NPC, okay, we'll scratch that name off, we'll write that name down. A little quick, like, two-sentence, like, description of them. Okay, we're good to go. Now, uh, this is the random merchant you want to look for. They're this name, I even have a list of like, you know, random, you know, like shop names with, with stuff like, you know, the normal kind of high fantasy, you know, the, uh, the, the, the gilded dragon or the, the broken hammer. And then it's got the more fun ones like Carpe Donut and that kind of stuff. Carpe Donut. Carpe, Carpe Donut is a little small bakery run by two halflings. Uh, it's great. It sounds amazing. I would love to go to you. 
Now I want donuts. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I do, and matter of fact, I'd use this in my Stagande notes, is uh, by, by every NPC in my notes, I have a basic description. I have uh, what species they are, what species or race, um, their age, uh, if applicable, and like hair color, eye color, basic stuff yep. that people would give the, a good description. It's like, okay, I know who this is now. Do you? Because I, I do. I do. Mine is the the name. Usually the uh, uh, the uh, the race, age. Normally like a hair and eye color type thing, if applicable. And uh, I also put a little like in parentheses, uh, you know, gruff Scottish or Irish, just because I I usually apply a voice to the character as well. And there are times where I'll be like getting characters mixed up with voices. Uh, there was one time I would you know because the, the the main NPC of my natural natural ones game. Is, is Haggerty, this kind of like Russian Scottish accent for a dwarf. And there was one time I was doing this and it was this proper British accent, like Cockney accent or something. It was like, wait, nope, that's not Haggerty. Uh, uh, I have to do like my cue phrase for all. There we go, lads. Yeah, we're back to Haggerty. So I was trying to like pull, okay, you know, Haggerty, uh, Russian Scottish mix accent, uh, Cockney accent, uh, Southern, just kind of keep that as well because of that. But that you don't have to do accents for, for characters, but. I do think the Q phrase is pretty important to put yes, on your list, yes. though, because that, like, um, I, I, if I play a character that's going to be recurring, I make sure I have a Q phrase, Q phrase for yes. it. If it's just not, if it's not just a natural conversational voice, um, definitely have a Q phrase because that pops you right back to it. Uh, well, what we mean by a Q phrase is something that you can say or even think in that in that voice, in that manner, that tone, that will instantly throw you into the the accent or the. Uh, it will throw you into the character's foot, uh, shoe, so to speak. Yeah, like my, my cue phrase for Cash in the Stagande game, I intend to have enough fun to need a cleric in the morning. <laughs> there uh, he is. Hag uh, Haggerty's is usually, oh, lads, what can I do for you? That um, The funniest one I've got is when I do like a, a goblin or a kobold. I just get real small. I go, hi, how you doing? How can I help? I love watching DMs do voices because almost always, like 90% of the time, there are physical yes. uh, ways that they move and like contort their body and stuff when they do the voice. And it's almost magical to kind of <laughs> see them as much as is humanly possible, transform into those characters for that voice. It's great. It, it, it's great. And sometimes as a DM, you don't realize you're doing it. Like if I, if I want to like, you know, like a, a highbrow sort of merchant or something, and I, I will kind of lean into, yeah, yes, this, this hand will keep going and moving. And what can I do for you, my friends? How, how can I help? Are you looking for, yes, just kind of, you know, like browsing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, With me, it's the eyebrows. The eye, yeah. yeah, my eyebrows go crazy sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can't see that. I was sitting there moving my eyebrows up and down. <laughs> to be fair, your eyebrows are kind of, you know, they're almost like hard to tell they're there to start with. I bro. can't help it, Moffat. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, was that ginger shade? <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> I also hate the fact that, you know, I would like to do more varied, more varied nuances in my voice four characters, but I'm a very soft-spoken person. I don't have a lot of bass to my voice or anything. I can't do like the deep, you know, really good deep voices uh, that some of my mean, friends Brody. naturally can just do. But that doesn't, it, it really doesn't matter. Like if you can, if you can't do voices, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. If you can find ways to make your, your NPCs memorable by giving them um, unique movements or like facial expressions or uh, just other quirks that they do, that's ways that make them uh, more easily identifiable with your players. 
I had a game master that he he had uh, he had injured his uh, his vocal box as a child. So occasionally there were days where his voice was very rough and harsh and he couldn't speak. And a lot of those days where he couldn't do any kind of like accent or any kind of voice, just the presence that he would somehow manage to give to the NPC, especially like any sort of villain character, he would adjust, like he would kind of adjust his posture to where this presence is very overwhelming. And you're like, whoa, okay, things got, you don't have to do a voice if you can just bring that kind of presence in, into it. It's crazy how much body language promotes uh, those those yep. different voices and stuff. He's actually the one that taught me if you ever do like a giant character yeah. as a DM, stand up. Because then your players are, are looking, looking at an elevated. Yeah. And it may not be about, you know, eight, nine inches, but they get a sense of this thing is bigger than us. We have to look up to it. Free pro tip, guys, no charge. <laughs> we should do we should do an episode of like what some of our personal like tips and tricks from yeah. behind the screen, we that should. kind of stuff. That's I was about to idea. say one of the things that I used to do for General Maroc is I would put my arm my hands behind my back. That military, like a very, yeah. very folded military presence. And I, if you know me personally, I have perfected the resting raptor face. That's a, um, that's one word for it. Yep. And I would go into that mode just like complete stoic seriousness. My eyebrows would be straight. I would look forward. I would give very few um, facial expressions to like retorts from the party yeah. or stuff. Every now and then, he never really showed true moments of like extreme emotion. There no. were, During the final fight he, he did, he got angry, but other than that, it was one of the ways I made him scary is that he's not showing a whole lot of emotion. Yeah. He's a little it's bit. business. Yeah, straightforward. Like, this isn't personal. You know, this is just what has to happen. You mentioned there the way you showed emotion, and that's something else that the, the even if it's the, uh, the random merchant they come across or a reoccurring villain that may have ulterior motives that are not exactly evil from a certain point of view. The, I believe the purpose of an NPC is to emotionally pull your players into the world, into the story, because if they're more invested in it, they're going to, one, they're going to take what's happening a little bit more seriously. And so they're, they're kind of not wanting to you know, like break the flow so much. You won't get as many jokes, which are my natural ones. If they weren't invested, it would just be like, you know, a nineties laugh-a-thon the entire time. Uh, which, I, to be fair, I love the jokes because it's usually in character. It, it adds to the moment. Very rarely will they do one that kind of breaks the flow of things. But it's uh, the purpose of the NPC is to, it's maybe not to like pull on your character, your player's heartstrings, but at, at least it's to make them go, I like this character. I'm invested in what's going on, and I want to progress this more and more. They're vehicles to present immersion. Yeah, investment and immersion. Those are the two yes. I words that are very important when you're looking at NPCs. That's what you want to use those tools to pull out of your characters. Um, Jeff uh, Beck yeah. runs our Wednesday night game. Did probably one of my like top three favorite things that ever happened with an NPC. He presented this with this NPC that we all hated. He was selfish and screwing things up on a like nearly national level. Uh, and in the course of, I don't know, a month or two, or it was, it was like a month worth of sessions, um, this guy was leading the town, and the party had kind of helped shift him uh, into this good character that had Are taken— Are we talking about Holt? We're talking about Holt, yeah. Yeah. Had taken responsibility for his actions and, like, manned up, um, and we we recently lost him. And uh, yeah. it was a hit. I didn't expect to feel that way See, about that, losing him. And it, it was weird because, like, I saw the hit, and I'm going, I mean, I met Holt once or twice as Artie, 
but there wasn't that connection there. You met him after he had I transitioned. Met him after he transitioned, yeah. I met him after he changed, and so like that moment where I threw up the the the, uh, the shield to kind of like uh, to stop that from and, yeah, and then I I, I did manage to save Nugget. Nugget was spared, which yeah. a a cobalt NPC completely random, I believe, that the party latched onto and decided to make their child. The because it's always a cobalt. Why the, is it? What always is it co- with cobalt? Everybody loves cobalt. They're I, adorable. The the uh, the went alone. Cobalt, it went was, alone. Yeah, went alone. <laughs> uh, literally, the third session of a of a of a game that I ran for almost two years, I was running for two people. Then it went from two people to three people to five people. It was, a, it was called the Electo game. Uh, it was playing on the GURP system, and it started off with just two players, and they were kind of moving through this forest. And I mentioned that well, ahead you see a kobold kind of sitting on a rock with a spear in his hand. Yeah. The intent was for them to sneak up, you know, engage the kobold there was because there was a whole big part. And they did the thing where they snuck up, they captured it, like, you know, they didn't kill it. And then the one of the players goes, I want to talk to it. Well, it's it's a kobold. Well, let me just use speak. He goes, well, I know common, elvish, and draconic. I goes, okay, the, they, he kobold speak draconic. So okay. And they started to talk to it. I'm like, all right, let me make a roll for this cobalt. Let's see how well he understands. And I essentially rolled a natural 20 because uh, in GURPS you want low numbers on a 3D6. Three being the lowest number for three ones, it rolled a natural four. I'm like, this is a cobalt savant. So instantly I'm like, okay, so if he's this smart, he's not out here because he's a great warrior. He's out here because he's a cobalt savant. And the other kobolds don't like him because he talks down to them. He's smarter than the. And I had this suddenly this entire backstory flowing. And one of the players, his daughter was was a big fan of the Daniel Tiger series on PBS. And so he, when they goes, well, what's your name? My name is Harshness. He goes, Daniel. Your name is now Daniel Kobold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Daniel Cobalt became their their chief accountant of their fortress. Wow. He became like the head of the house. And in the big fight, he was riding an armored bear into battle, wielding a legendary weapon that they gave to him. It was this great utter moment. What is it with players and and like pumping up their pet NPC? Because <laughs> Geartak in our Wednesday night I know, game, just- yeah. Yeah, he's like, you know what? This cobalt's getting a band of intellect. Band of intelligence, yeah. We have all of this world-shattering <laughs> stuff happening. Like, so much right now is coming to a head. And uh, Dalton, Geartax player, is like, no, we're taking care of this. This is getting a band of intellect. This is happening. And, like, that's how we literally ended our last session is we put the band on his head. You know, so... <sighs> like, there there was one... I had one one game where they found a uh, an, an ogre, and, uh, like, they, you know... He could barely speak in anything. Like, he could barely speak common. And none of them could speak Ogrekin. So, but one of them happened to have a belt of the Dwarvish Lords. Yeah. And they put it on there because the belt didn't let you speak and read Dwarvish. And there was a dwarf in the party. Okay. That works. <laughs> but the other part is, the other part of the belt is, like, as Critical Role showed, you grow a magnificent, like, dwarven beard. So there was this great bearded ogre walking with the party. <laughs> and it's just, uh it was great that his, his they just because you also gained proficiency with smithing and on his first roll to make some was a natural twenty and Heck just yeah. it was this whole big thing and yeah that that's that was a yeah that was a fun time that kind of segues into a question I was going to br- uh, bring up is how in a in a difference from humanoid NPCs how do you handle monstrous NPCs something that is you know clearly not humanoid in shape but is intelligent enough to interact with the party. 
they're the, the way I do that. They're unless it's a very specific, like you know, this thing is meant to attack you. Uh, if it also if it makes sense, like this ogre, they found him. He was chained to a uh, think uh, think the trolls from Lord of the Rings, where the, they opened the gates of, of Mordor. This thing was chained to this massive like turn pit that was mainly he was being used as an ox to like like to crush grain and stuff. Well, they freed him, and he I mean, a couple of rolls were made. Uh, basically kind of, you know, they, he, they befriended him. So he was able to kind of go with him, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't mind it because it's really interesting because if they don't think about, okay, let's go into this town with our giant ogre companion. Uh, let's see what happens. You start getting attacked. You've got an ogre with you. Like we're going to wait outside. You, you go wait outside with the dwarf. You two stay there, be friends. And we're, and it, it does add more to, but I, I love like, Things they're sort of you know like manticores, chimeras, that kind of stuff. Maybe not. Yeah, for me it has to one make sense. Yes. Um, monster races are not ex- accepted very well into society, uh, and two, it has to work mechanically. Being that you know it has to be able to understand you, you got to be able to communicate with it somehow. I I do that because my natural my natural uh, intention towards that is to just let folks do what they enjoy. But on the flip side of that coin, I have had parties that literally Pokemon my game, and they would just collect <laughs> every monster they they ran across, and they just drag it through the whole adventure. So to kind of temper that a little bit, it's got to make sense, and it's got to work mechanically. For me, that's how I do it. Usually, because like thankfully with Five E, you get more like definition. Most monstrosities or thing things are aberrations, abomination, that kind of stuff. They think they they don't like want to befriend them, but it's things like like beasts. Beasts are mechanically they're unaligned creatures. Uh, if you can find a way to interact with them, they will never be tame, so to speak. But you can ammo handling and food coaxing. You can kind of get a beast to work with you. Uh, orcs, ogres, they have enough of an intelligence to where they do have a spoken language, so you can try to convince them. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, there was one game where uh, Beck. Benriel in my natural one game ran where it was a one shot and I, my character, first of all, I love my character's name. His name was uh killer Damal. He was playing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Just the look on Brody's face. Uh, apparently there was a room where I have rolled a higher perception check to notice that there are, there's a, uh, a table with six, six placements, but there are seven chairs. Like I want to roll a perception check on the seventh chair. Turned out it was a mimic. I walked up to it. I just got like this, like ton of like, dragon meat or something, I threw it a piece of meat or a natural 20 animal handling. And all of a sudden I become basically an, a, uh, an impromptu ranger with this mimic. And every time I told it to do something, I would feed it, which would give me an advantage on the roll, which I would roll high enough. And, that. and basically they, they go, uh, Moffat at any point, had you not done this, this chair was going to attack you, but you kept feeding the thing. So it's like, I get more food and just, I really, so somewhere off in the, in the, the waste of, in, in the galaxies of, of existence, there is a human, uh, a human fighter named Killer Damal with his pet mimic chair uh, named. Oh God, what did I name it? Uh, I didn't name it Lazy Boy. That one was too simple. Um, oh, the uh, oh the 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 brand of washing machine. Maytag. Uh, Maytag. I named him Maytag. <laughs> Maytag. For me, probably my <laughs> oddest um, attachment to an NPC, and I I do attach to NPCs really easily. But my oddest attachment was also in one of Beck's games. Uh, it was a version of Curse of Strahd, and they had given me a rod of the peasants, 
Spain, the super chicken. Which I promptly use to commandeer a cadre of chickens. My intention, <laughs> and I even said this to the group, these are not our friends. These are scouts. We send them out. Uh, they, If they die, they die. They keep watch for us. That's how these function. Uh, how long did that last, James? Less than a session. <laughs> it was about 10 minutes. Um, Beck started giving them characteristics and like individuality, and I immediately was like, okay, well, my next level is going in something that I can get speak with animals, and that's what I did. Like, <laughs> changed the course of my character because I felt guilty about using this rod to make the chickens do what I want them to. So my natural inclination is I'll just use I'll use up one of my levels in order so that I can get speak with animals. We we have got to, to find this miniature. It is essentially a like a, just a, a mound of chickens. I've seen I, I the think miniature. We've got it up here somewhere. Yeah, we got to find like if we, like we start doing like uh, like Instagram and Twitter and stuff. We have got to like to put that up to show the. I love the great word by the way, cadre of the chicken. cadre of chickens. The cadre and of chickens. What's crazy is like before it was over with, there was uh, interpersonal political struggle and dynamics in the group of chickens for like leadership and that kind of stuff. Uh, we have a one-shot pending where everyone is going to play the chickens uh, from dibs the group. On, dibs on Fane. I want Fane. No, dibs on Fane. Fane is mine. That's oh, my come chicken. On. Sorry, we've already talked about it. Fane is for me. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. That's way uh, way deeper than I would have went with that. Well, right now say, you hold my heart on NPCs and Instagande what is I do. where that is. And uh, I'm I'm hoping you don't crush it. Orendus, that little girl. Oh, um. Don't, why did you owe like that the second time? <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, well, um, we'll see. I was going to say, actually, we have a story very similar to Moffat's. Uh, the the Wayward Sons from the first Agande campaign oh, yeah, are responsible <laughs> for bringing mimics to Midgard. <laughs> they found one in a giant stronghold in Jotunheim. And while they were going through this stronghold, they they found a mimic. And they're like, that's a mimic. I have a feeling that's what that is. It's like, don't be suspicious. Don't be <laughs> suspicious. And so I think they did something similar. They threw food at it. And sure enough, it ate it. And they're like, mm. so they were just like, we'll ignore it. It's not a big deal. We're, we got to deal with these giants. So they went further in and then they kept hearing something. They'd stop and they'd look back down the hall and there's, there's that damn chest. <laughs> it is slowly following y'all. And they were like, well, it's not a big deal. Probably a giant will get it. Go. They get half. They, they get pretty much to the end of that little encounter and it's still following them. And so they, I think, I don't know, was it Greg or is Greg or Casey? I can't Somebody was remember. like, here, throw it enough food or it won't attack us. And they picked it up and took it with them. <laughs> Look, it is they my, called it Manny. Oh, God. It is my personal life philosophy that when God opens a window, you sneak a mimic through it. That's fair. <laughs> You're, God opens a lot of windows and closes doors for you. Because, like, you know, when God closes oh, when God closes a door, you punch through the wall. There's just so many of those idioms. I mean, yeah, and they're all good. I, I will admit there are sometimes I will purposefully do things like the 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 mimic following them just to see what they will do. A lot of times it bites you. Know, you know, you're biting in the ass. But now there's another aspect of NPCs that uh, it's one of those where you, you have to have a conversation with the GM first, and that's the the romantic involvement with an NPC character. <laughs> uh, currently going on in my, in my natural ones game are our Emerald Dragonborn, Rakara, uh, is sort of becoming romantically attached to Samantha Ding, the the niece of Vin Ding, the one who makes the great machines of my world. That 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 NPC was a throwaway joke, and it became so well-loved that he now has not just Vin Ding, the great gnome artificer, but he has a niece now, too, named Samantha, or Sam Ding. 
Uh, Cash needs to talk to him about a prestidigitorium idea he has. <laughs> Look, I, I don't want to hear anything about it. For almost three years, I had to play James's fictional character's wife in the first Agande campaign. You know you liked it. <laughs> so what? what is your... I behave. <laughs> oh, Lord. So when, let's say, a, a, a player character approaches an NPC, kind of like in a very, like, you know, not like seductive, but a way like to start to establish the foundations of a relationship in game. Uh, first of all, again, this is something where I think you want to have a conversation with your G- with your GM to see, hey, is it okay if I do this? I like this character. I think they mesh well with what my character is trying to do. Uh, are they pursuable? And then from there, where do you go with the NPC? Because personally, I think there are there are obviously good and bad ways to do this. I, I've just recently kind of gotten into this uh, in the campaign that, that Jeff Beck's running. Yes. Um, and I think that that's being handled. Like, I'm doing it from the player end, and he's, you know, operating yep. the NPC. But I think it's – I think the function of it is is very good. Um, it's a, a healthy way. He's – you know, we – we because we're gone so much, we have a sending stone. Yep. And a lot of my downtime when other characters are kind of working on different skills and stuff, I spend on the sending stone, you know, just catching up with them – I think really what it is is you need to approach it naturally. Yeah. Like how a relationship actually develops. You know, you have to spend time talking to each other and that kind of stuff. It's not just like, hey, baby, how you doing in the bar? And then, you know. <laughs> that, that, that's a different kind of NPC. Yeah. Thing, yeah. That's yeah, that's often fade to black NPC. Yes. Uh, unless you roll bad. Now, also, you you did the other thing where you as the player initiated the the relationship, so to speak. I did, yeah. Um. So the way that I, I did that is I – I thought of a natural course that to go down and it was pretty much started. We were at a ball and it was, Hey, can I, can I have this dance? You know? And then the dance went well and there was a little conversation and it turned into, may I call upon you later? Uh, there was conversation with her dad, but we, you know, I had some leeway there cause we saved his son. Yeah. So that helped. Very, very old school thesis. I love it. He's great. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, just approach it naturally and try not to be too outlandish with it. Don't and be weird with it. Don't I, be weird. Exactly. That's the ma- don't be cringy. I think at that point the the whole thing is you let the player set the set the pace, because uh, again they're the one who usually has initiated who should have initiated this, and I let them decide like you know uh, like how like there was one where he was playing kind of a bardic character, and so by like you know the second or third night the two of them were in his tavern room together. And again, that is a very much yeah. a fade to black kind of thing. We are not about to role play this out. <laughs> no, I, I like I always do things like you know, in the morning is when the players walk by, the door swings open, and he just is like, "I need orange juice. Give me orange." That that kind of you can make, you <laughs> can, but still, you know, you always just fade to black because we'll get into a whole big thing of, of rules. One of my big rules is you don't play porn chicken with Moffat, you will lose. It is close to Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, Valentine's Day, we we. Talked with Brody about getting a game going for a group of ours that it's their one year anniversary. And what did we choose for a game that we're playing on Valentine's Day? Aliens. Aliens Xenomorph game. Perfect for Valentine's Perfect Day. Perfect for right? Valentine's Day. Nothing says love like a chestburster through the heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm using that. That's gonna be a t-shirt. That, that's I love that. That's great. Now, so uh the reason I was talking about like, you know, the relationship aspect of the of an NPC is because that does give more power, so to speak, or more intention to the game master to focus more on this NPC. Now, there is another aspect where the DM brings an NPC that they have more control over, 
and as I was informed on our Discord, I misspoke, I mis mis uh, labeled this. That is a DMPC or the Dungeon Master's player character. Now, how does that differ from an NPC? Because if you if you look at it at face value, well, the Dungeon Master is playing both of these characters. He is controlling them in the world and that kind of stuff. So what is the what is the big difference? I I one hundred percent always, and this is a personal thing. Now, if this isn't the way you do it, then that's fine. Whatever works for you guys. But I one hundred percent always avoid playing as part of the party. Uh, I run NPCs. Sometimes I have recurring NPC NPCs. I have NPCs I like to use in different games. Um, it's just when you get one and you really nail that part, you want to keep using that yeah. because it's good material. Uh, but I don't do I don't do player characters where I'm a part of the party and like I get to play with them on their side of the screen. Yeah, I don't like doing that. It, it for me, it muddles things, it confuses things, and when you have the power to kind of determine the direction of the world, it's really hard to not smudge that line. Very true. I, I generally don't like doing that either. Um, I have my NPCs that are, that are clue bats, basically. They guide the party yeah. if they need it. That is, well... Again, I mentioned I used, there's two aspects to a bat. You follow it, and then it hits you upside the head until you go the direction. Yeah, I have... Um, Characters that I have played in past games that I've loved so dearly that I have found a way to put them into my games, but they've never been on the side of like the party yep. aiding them and fighting. Only if it's been requested. That, if the party intentionally goes, we need your help. Yes. So one thing that I learned from you, uh, Brody, about NPCs and exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I know you used Soulstone in the first Dagande campaign. Um, and I remember particularly there was this really big battle and we had our very spotlight focused part of the battle, but we knew that Soulstone was there doing stuff in the background. Like there were these larger than life elements that we had no hope of contending with. And, uh, you know, we would see glimpses of Soulstone dealing with that. And again, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't where the spotlight was, but it was a very nice seasoning of the scene to see this NPC we had interacted with that, you know, had come from a different game and how he added to that without taking anything away. And I've gotten to where I'll use them as background for what's going like a lot of the times I'll do that. I, I very much do that where I will never, I guess, proffer the NPC, but if like recently in the natural ones, they were, there's massive fight on a, on a stone bridge inside a city. And they knew the uh, the guard captain, uh, uh, Hemlock. And during the process of getting everything ready, one of the players goes, "Hey, we have the sending stone for Hemlock. Can we get him in this fight? He's a guard. He, you know, he want to be here." It's always that never pro offer the NPC, but if they go, "I want them here," don't be afraid. To go, okay, cool. Yeah, they they can join in. They can, you know, give, again give the power of choice to the player. The dungeon master should never take away that power, that agency from the player. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's 100%. perfect. And also a thing that I do is every NPC that could realistically go into combat, I have a character sheet for. So I don't, because I have been in games with a dungeon master, basically their DMPC has like God level reality altering powers. I'm like, no, 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 this is what he can do. I can show you what he can do in case you get concerned. He, he is a, he's an 18th level paladin. He has got like he's got this background, so he has access to these cantrips as well. But this is what he can do. Like he will, ne he will never. And also, one of my personal rules is my NPC will never get the last the last shot on my, on any sort of enemy. 
It doesn't matter if I have just rolled three natural 20s in a row. does not matter. As soon as that next PC steps up, they get the final kill. Like, they have that final that final hit. Yeah, it's like behind the screen. Like, your, your PC, NPC is rolling to hit, and they like, oh, that's a lot of damage. And then you go, mm, the monster's still got, like, 10 HP yeah. left. <laughs> it's like, man, after that hit, he is looking rough and, like, right on death's door. Okay, so, uh, Bakara, you step up. What do you do? Um, does this hit? Yes, it hits. Crap, that was minimal damage. I, I deal eight damage. How do you want to do this? How does it happen? He's dead. Really? He, yeah, he, man, he was right at the cusp there. I mean, yeah, you know, Hemlock did some work, but you you took over the top there. I'm looking like they got uh, minus 10 HP. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the worst game I've ever been in. I think we talked about it on the Horror Stories episode. Um, the seed and root of that horrible game was the DM bringing in his pet character <sighs> that he had and making him the focus of everything that was going on and everything they did hinged on what he thought about it and all that kind of... It was just... It was really horrible. And it was because, at the root of it, he was enamored with his own character that yep. he played another game and made their game about it. I, like... Uh, the character Baylor Hemlock, the the guard captain of Port Blavin, is not a, a PC character of mine. He is an NPC from a, a different game I played in. I was talking about this to, to the players in our Discord. Which, by the way, Dungeon Masters, Discord is a great, a great avenue for you. Absolutely. And it is okay if you take, like, NPCs and other aspects from other games. A friend of mine, the guy who taught me, he goes, Moffat, a good dungeon master, a good game master uh, is imitative. A great dungeon master just blatantly plagiarizes. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about the NPCs that pop up in multiple games. Uh, Soulstone is that for me. He is a player character from one of my best friends that uh, doesn't live around here anymore, but he has been in, in every type of game that I have ever run or played in if Ben has also been at the table with me (laughs) since I started playing tabletop games it has been a running joke that he is not a multiversal singularity there's an an existence of him in every reality it could be there's a there's been a human version of him there's been a like a a machine version of him there's like (laughs) there's a soul stone in every reality i love monk daddy that's that's we we even had a game that was totally like batshit crazy it with the stuff we were doing is like realities are clashing together (laughs) we had a moment where soul stone met multiple versions (laughs) of himself to role play this ben had hats that oh, he would wow. put on his head and Literally. say, this is a different soul stone. Take it off, put a different on. This is a different soul stone talking. And he'd talk in, talk in different voices, too. I would love to have seen that. I have the audio of it on an old hard drive what? that the computer died, but I have the hard drive. Did you, awesome. did you kill it right in your world? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I, I still have to get that audio out somehow. And it's funny because we were talking about like NPCs for the players and their immersion. It's okay, and it's actually very common for you, the game master, to put an emotional attachment to this bit of your rant, random bit of your imagination. Mm-hmm. This, like there are tons of NPCs in my world right now that if something happens to them, Moffat, the dungeon master will get sad. Yeah. I, I have a little girl character who like is a waitress at this family owned ramen shop and she's in danger in our Saturday game right now. Um, and if that little girl goes away, James, the DM <laughs> is going to be rent with sorrow. That doesn't protect her, but it would make me sad. And I think, and, and I think that's the main purpose of of the non-player character is to not just enrich the world, but to enrich the experience of both player and dungeon master. Yeah, 
because a lot of times, yeah, you know, we we sit behind the screen and we're usually a part of uh, a part of the action happening, but then we stand apart from the the player action. And so this is a way that we can kind of like let our own immersion pull into the world that we get to to be and play these people who are affecting uh, affecting the lives of the players. Uh, I think, and like a final kind of closing thought is don't don't be afraid to like don't be afraid to get attached to your own NPCs. Don't be afraid to offer your players a plethora of NPCs because the more that you can let them become attached to, in the end, the greater immersion and the greater the game's going to be. And the greater the grief is when you take them away from them. Mm, delicious grief. I see. We need. We are just like a, a a scale of like balancing, trying to figure out. You know. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, with with that, I think we're going to wrap up our conversation on na- on uh, non player characters, not the National Port Commission. That that's a different <laughs> a different conversation. Coming up next. Coming up next, folks. The next. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and so before we close out, first of all, folks, thank you all so very very much for listening to us. Uh, wherever you're listening and play with advantage, uh, please make sure to like, follow us. If there's a notification button, hit the button. Uh, without uh, without you guys, we can't do what we do. Uh, and speaking about doing what we do, uh, the first episode of the continuation of Stagande, Scars of Midgard, happened this past week, and it was fantastic to watch. Uh, it is up on YouTube now, episode eight, I believe. Yes. yes. Uh, and then the next episode is happening today, Sunday at... At 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. So make Twitch. sure. Twitch.tv slash Stagande Sagas. Twitch.tv slash Stagande Sagas. Uh, so, yes, as they are literally getting ready to run out the door right now to go to go jump back into that war of Stagande, I will simply say, folks, thank you all so much for listening. As always, I am Kenneth Moffat. Brody Coley. James at the Hive. Be safe. Love you guys. Let's be good to each other because we only get one shot. Later, folks. I'm hungry.